Hi there, you're listening to the Venture Builder Map podcast. My name is Andries De Vos. I'm the co-founder of Slash, a Singapore-based venture builder. Every week I come together with brilliant minds to talk about how venture building is changing the way startups are incubated and corporate innovation is evolving. Today, we're going to dive into the e-commerce venture building landscape in Southeast Asia and India. My guest is Archit Anand, the founder and CEO of Omniro, a plug-and-play e-commerce platform for retailers and brands to manage their online business in one place while providing an Amazon-like experience to the end buyer. Omniro serves hundreds of SMEs and listed company brands. As a software engineer himself, Archit has been working in the e-commerce industry in Southeast Asia and India since 2015. He has seen firsthand how the e-commerce revolution in Asia has transformed society. In this talk, we will unpack the e-commerce stack, regional e-commerce differences between Southeast Asia and India, what opportunities lie ahead for entrepreneurs to fix or solve the next e-commerce infrastructure challenge, and how venture builders may be able to help. Archit, thank you so much for joining us on the Venture Builder Map podcast. Thanks a lot, Andreas. Uh, pleasure is mine. And looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, same here. I'm a big fan of e-commerce because my wife has uh, has several e-commerce businesses. So I've, I've had sort of this front row seat on on all the things she's going through, it's like like influencers and problems with shipping and taxes and uh, cross-border payments and foreign exchange rates and warehousing issues. It sounds like it's a bit of a jungle. I am always surprised because my world is more sort of like software as a service solution. There's still so many things that are not really streamlined and working in e-commerce. So maybe you can kind of give us a flavor of how you unbundle the e-commerce stack end-to-end. Been in the e-commerce industry for the last seven, eight years now, and I was planning a career in sports, and e-commerce happened by chance, and and here I am, eight years in, and I, I'm enjoying the whole ecosystem. And part of the reason why I'm enjoying this is is what you mentioned. It's a jungle, um, and we have evolved so fast. Right? When I first entered e-commerce, it was online was just starting off. People didn't know how to sell online, and now we're talking Web 3.0, NFTs, Metaverse, which we'll discuss later. So it's crazy what's happening, and and we still don't know how to sell on Web 2.0. We're talking about three dot now, <laughs> so it's 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 crazy what we are up to. Um, but yeah, no, I think um, I try to keep things very simple. I think Shopify has done an amazing job. Uh, start using the CMS tool, just forefront on your uh, on the internet. Um, post that they provide a lot of these payment options as well, depending on which location you are. I think that's where uh, geography plays a very important role, right? So almost every player in the payment industry now has a Shopify plugin as well. So you don't need to worry about anything, right? Um, just plug and play all the way. Uh, and then I think it, it purely depends on the type of business, right? Um, now, if you are selling something which you need to pick and pack or you need to operate or you're you manufacturing something, then obviously you need to think about the, the stack for the uh, ERP. But if, if, if you are in the dropshipping business and, and you are uh, outsourcing your business to an FBA kind of setup. There are many FBA setups now or replicas across the world. So even if you're a Shopify seller or you're selling on any other platform, you can now outsource your uh, operations to many of these FBA replicas all across the world as well. So even operations is something you can outsource uh, for your unit economics now, right? So as a as an e-commerce seller, I have so many more options now um, for my unit economics. I think and I can look at the expenses and break it down. So Shopify for a CMS, a payment, multiple payment options depending on the geographies I'm, I'm, I'm playing in, outsourcing my operations in that particular geography to a FBA kind of player. And then for my own stack, I think um, add a few more layers on top. Uh, you might want to have some marketing tools, market tools, ad tech tools, 
who will help you in customer retention customer acquisition social media tools i think content is a big part of it as well finally now a big layer which has started coming into the picture for d2c brands is data right so now you need to have those data analytic tools tools which give you data which help you then understand what your customers are buying how can you tailor your products for your customers for your target audiences whether these products make sense or not so i think that is a big piece which now every d2c player is now involving in the tech stack as well right um and i see a lot of opportunities over there um yeah so i think this is how i would break it down happy to hear from you andreas what are and you using with your life one of the challenges i've had perhaps with e-commerce is i very often ended up in a in a some kind of hybrid model with marketplaces and as soon as you talk about marketplaces the things like shopify don't quite work so in in a in a single shop type of setup um i think what you describe which is shopify uh fba type of solution then uh marketing tools some data tools content sort of i think works well but it quickly gets a lot more complicated when you have uh either physicality let's say manufacturing to your point or a lot of warehousing or um uh or you have a marketplace type of model so what are the extra layers that you feel have been addressed already and and how does e-commerce and marketplace work together these days oh yeah for sure i think so um, i was actually talking to a few uh, d2c players in india um, during my recent trips over here um, and and trying to understand their strategies so i think there are two common strategies in the market right now when it comes to d2c um, and this was this was just a saturday i am amdabad this is one of the premier uh, management schools in india there was an uh, d2c event over there so there were there were there were two uh, two schools of d2c players present over there one was players who were focusing only on their e-com website and they said that they want to build a brand right and according to them a brand gets diluted very as soon as you go to an amazon right so they were focusing only on the shopifys or or their d2c stores and they said that for the first 2 3 years i want to build a brand at the expense of let's say even if the revenue doesn't pick up so much i want to build a brand so that amazon comes to me and asks me to come to them the other school of thought was that you know what i want to milk uh, i'm not worried about creating a brand or a legacy I, over here i'm in the business of making money i want to make a profitable business on these marketplaces i'll understand um, i'll 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 start getting some sales i'll start getting some visibility and i'll use that to then set up my e-commerce store and and make that big it was the other way around right something which is getting more successful and and what we are seeing now is that a lot of the d2c players are now going e-commerce store first they focus on shopify first build the brand build a legacy build a community if they have to they'll go to these marketplaces and marketplaces will give them preferential treatment as well but in terms of the stack right for me to manage my e-commerce across a, a dot com store of my own let's say a shopify or a magento or a woocommerce or these marketplaces there are enough technologies in the market for you to manage everything at once right so we built one such technology at omnidio ourselves uh, where we help them manage everything in one place i think so that is now becoming a commodity so you have a lot of players helping you out with that so that's no longer a problem uh, in terms of managing multiple marketplaces and multiple stores at one place um and then that is something which i would assume in the next 2 to 3 years almost everyone in the market will be using both i guess in the west but also in in southeast asia or south asia is um you know with this the market has been almost intermediated by this massive regional and global marketplaces um they, they are basically driving a lot of traffic they're providing all the tools they're providing deep vertical integrations into payments and fulfillment and 
do you think that that makes independent marketplaces dead? Uh, and marketplace, I mean, both goods, marketplace of goods, but maybe even marketplace down the road of, of services. Do you think that marketplace would only exist to provide services? Let's say like a cleaner that you match or like an Uber type of, of, uh, of marketplace? Or, or do you think that it's also possible that marketplace of goods, let's say someone who, who, um, who curates the best um, uh, celebrity type shoes, sneakers, could maybe create an interesting marketplace? For sure, I think if you look at the trends, um, I think there will, there is in Southeast Asia. I, I'm a firm believer. I think both will exist. We already see marketplaces for services coming up uh, big time in Southeast Asia and Southeast South Asia as well. Um, we have already seen some unicorns in India uh, for uh, marketplace of services, and and it's only going to go up. Um, and in Southeast Asia as well, it's only going to go up. A lot of plays around that. I, I'm a firm believer that they will exist. Um, and I'm a firm believer that marketplace of goods. There's a space for that as well. Uh, I think what will happen next is there will be a focus on niche segments. As you mentioned, maybe a marketplace for sneakers, for the celebrities, um, tokenizing that. And God knows a lot of possibilities around that, right? If you look at uh, the markets right now in, in Thailand, in, in, in Philippines, in Indonesia, and others, there's a, there's a wave of, uh, of this mom and new baby and, and, and mom marketplace wave coming up. There are these... There's one startup in every country which is getting good funding, right? Are, are, are started by people who themselves experienced these pains. Or maybe they've seen something like a trend coming out in India. A lot of these trends are now coming out of India and being replicated in Southeast Asia and seeing that as a big trend right now. Like India is two or three or five years ahead. They are looking at what's happening in India and, and the market in Southeast Asia is sort of similar. A lot of things are getting copied from there. Um, so I definitely see still a, 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 a play. And I think overall, when these niche marketplaces grow, I feel then consolidation will happen again. And, and the big players will still be the, the big ones. And there might be some MAs happening in the market. It's really interesting to hear and kind of refreshing for me almost to hear that the, the, the trends are coming from India to Southeast Asia, not the other way around. And, and this is me being non-Indian, right? Uh, my, my vision of India is still that, you know, demographically, obviously it's massive and very big market, but economically just poorer than Southeast Asia uh, on, a, on a per capita basis. So it's interesting you say that you think that India for e-commerce and marketplace is three to five years ahead than Southeast Asia. Do you think that's across across the board? Oh, definitely across the board. I think um, I, I've, now that I've, I've started, I have lived in India for two years. I've seen how far ahead we are in Southeast Asia. Like, um, I, I, I felt the same way as you initially when I was in Southeast Asia, I was inside the whole ecosystem over there. Um, having spent uh, the last one or two months in Bangalore, uh, which is the startup ecosystem hub in India, I've, I've, I've seen so much happening and I see that so much is not happening in Southeast Asia. There's so much things happening over there and so many um, so many crazy ideas coming up, which makes a lot of sense. Um, and, and, and you wonder what you can do with those in other parts of the world where you don't have these things happening. Right? So I think India as a marketplace, we have 1.4 billion people, we're only growing. Um, huge diversity it's Southeast Asia has how many countries seven eight uh, we don't even count those seven eight countries we look at six big markets right um, in India you have 25 big markets every every province or every state is a market in India uh, it has a different culture has a different language has a different way of life we Indians know that if you want to crack the Indian market it's like cracking all those 25 26 different markets altogether. 
I guess switching gears to a little bit to um, the market and 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 uh, venture building itself. Um, what's the influence of Amazon and uh, well, I guess Amazon specifically on on the markets in Asia um, and and also on how the big regional players are thinking about competing with Amazon and then how ultimately the smaller players are having to figure out how to compete. Oh yeah, so Amazon is is, is always the always the one. Uh, elephant in the room uh, of every local player, right? When it comes to e-commerce, everyone knows about it, but nobody talks about it. In a way. So um, I think in India, um, they've already become a market leader, right? So everyone has accepted that. Uh, people accept that and, and they are winning the market. Flipkart, to a certain extent, before the acquisition of Walmart, were play, taking them heads on. I think after the acquisition of Walmart, a lot of uh, leadership has changed. A lot of things have changed. The culture has changed overall. Um, and they've taken a different direction uh, to, to what it was before. But I think looking at Southeast Asia, Amazon has a B2B play over there, but not a direct B2C play. Um, Lazada, Shopee are comfortable where they are, I think, um, at the moment. But the, the, what, what we see in Southeast Asia is a lot of learning from what Amazon's done in the other countries. So I, I definitely feel that um, local players are... Like in Southeast Asia, I don't see Amazon coming anytime soon, honestly. Like, I don't think that's a threat they're thinking of. Uh, what what players think of over there is, uh, Indonesia, for example, is a very interesting play, right? So with Tokopedia, a local player who became a unicorn, that's the only local marketplace in Southeast Asia, by the way, as you know. There's no other local marketplace in Southeast Asia at all, right? So Indonesia is a very, very interesting market when it comes to that and i see a lot of similarities with india where a flipkart came up and all these local marketplaces have come up now in india what we have done there are marketplaces coming up for tier 3 tier 4 tier 2 cities which amazon is not going after amazon's amazon goes after tier 1 cities only so consumers on amazon are our tech folks are our folks like us who are tech savvy and Amazon's built for that. Amazon's UI, UX is built for that. So if someone is looking to enter the market in marketplace play, I would say there have been some successful plays in India focusing tier three, tier four markets. You need to build for them. You need to build with them. If you're able to crack that market, that market's actually online. We don't, we don't think they're online, but they are online and their needs are different. Um, so if you're able to crack that with, with the product first mindset for them and not try to copy what Amazon has done, but scratch, start from scratch without thinking Amazon exists, players coming up and there's definitely missing players in Southeast Asia as well. Yeah, very cool. That's a very interesting insight, especially for a big market like um, like uh, India. And I guess Indonesia will probably have, might have some its own kind of play there. Um, so for me, the million dollar question is, as a venture builder is, where would I have to put my resources in? So imagine that today I, I, I have, I want to build, um, I want to venture build for e-commerce. I want to invest uh, 50 million USD over a period of five years in hundred e-commerce ideas. And I want to hopefully have 10 e-commerce winners that come out of it. Um, what vertical should I solve for? What should the model be? Uh, and what would my team look like to even solve that? Would it make more sense for me to invest in essentially building consumer brands and, and just look more at literally the brand and products or, or that the SKUs I sell? Uh, or would it be, make more sense for me to look at tech enablement and what kind of tech enablement? Um, is it all about data intelligence that because that seems to be an area you, you're particularly passionate about? 
Or are there other areas, for example, building for the metaverse or building for 3D or a roll-up strategy or, you know, different subscription models? Like, what, what, how would you, what would you advise me if I would come to you for advice on this one? Well, I think that's a, that's a very tough question. Uh, but uh, overall, I think um, you've basically touched across all areas. I, 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 I wouldn't say that any area is something you should not get into if you're talking specifically about Southeast Asia or South Asia. Uh, in general, um, I have some reports about. Um, I've gathered a lot of data in India, uh, so I, I, I'll, I'll sort of base my base my thesis on that. And I, I believe like India is two to three years ahead of Southeast Asia, so things which are happening in India will happen eventually in Southeast Asia as well. Um, so, uh, gathered a lot of industry reports over here. A lot of research reports have come to my table of late when I've been ideating on things and what's happening in the market. And so. In general, if you look at how brands are or, or, or brands are built uh, in India or in Southeast Asia, it was traditionally FMCG players, big players, um, HUL and all other Unilevers and PNGs and all of these guys launching brands and traditional out outcomes, right? Now the new age folks are going online and and, and they've cut down a lot, a huge chunk of of the whole supply of the whole. Uh, brand building chain, right? So they've, they've gotten rid of that and they've directly gone to consumers to B2C models, right? Uh, now, what has happened over there is if you look at what's happening in the market, uh, Unilever has now um, every big company, um, FMCG, be it FMCG or be it any uh, vertical, has set up their own um, uh, investment arms as well now. So it's not just the roll-ups who are buying B2C players anymore. The roll-ups are actually buying the younger ones and selling it to these guys. Why have roll-ups come up, come up in India and Southeast Asia? Because roll-ups see that there is a gap in the market. There are these D2C founders are being are, are coming up to a million or two million or five million revenue, but they're not big enough for these bigger established players to buy them. So that's where they pick them up. They, they take them to a certain level before they make an exit to these bigger companies. That's the basic, basic model on which they're working, right? And now what we're seeing is um, companies have also started realizing that that is happening. Right. And in India, what, what's now happening is these companies are also going one step ahead and buying these companies at the stage at which roll-ups are buying as well. So roll-ups now have competition with not just other roll-ups, but these established players are now setting up their own VC arms, are setting up their own investment arms, uh, who are looking into funding these D2C companies. Unilever has set up a lab in Singapore, which will fund a lot of these uh, D2C players as well. A lot of these, uh, Luxottica, I read, had done something similar as well. A lot of these big traditional businesses are now understanding that, you know what, the way they have traditionally built brands, that is changing and that has fundamentally changed. Now. So this, this change is not going to go back. So I firmly believe there are spaces, I was speaking to this guy who's built a beauty brand where there is, we believe that there's no space in beauty left. And he tells me, Archit, there is space in beauty left. Um, and I'm making this money right now. And I have a plan in three years to make an exit already. Right. So I think, Depending on the people we talk to, you can see different players come in. So I definitely feel like in the consumer good, in the goods market, there is still a lot of space there. I think um, if you can pick your niche, if you can, if you know how to uh, market your product well, if you can pick a niche uh, and you can understand the data and, and you can segment the market, which is underserved, you can definitely go after them. I would definitely want to go data first on that. The second, obviously, tech enablement side, I, as I said, I think there is still a lot of space left in the tech enablement side as well. So I would say like when you're looking at putting 100 startups, I would say 60% maybe go into the good segment because there's still enough, a lot of like Southeast Asia is just getting started. 
in two or three years, you will see so many D2C startups coming out in every country. Uh, it will be crazy over there, like what's happening in India right now. So I would say this is the right time to invest in D2C products or D2C startups in Southeast Asia. Um, it's, it's, the, it's the flavor of the month over there. And, and I think that's something which is going to go um, bonkers over there. Second is obviously tech enablement plays. I think the, the space is changing. We'll have to be building on top of things. Um, and there will be cross-sectional plays between Web 2.0 and 3.0 as well. And that's where I think the next phase of you can have some 10 to 20 percent of your investments reserved for that. Because I definitely feel uh, there's a huge chunk of folks who are on Web 3.0, which we are not even aware of. Web 2.0 folks are not aware of how many people are on Web 3.0 right now. Right. And those people do not shop like Web 2.0 folks. There's a there's separate there's, the world is not divided into Web 2.0 and 3.0, according to me, in a way. Like these Web 3.0 folks only spend time on Web 3.0 now. They don't. Um, and these people are not being catered to, or, 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 or traditional brands are not being able to cater to them. Nike has set up something. A lot of these bigger brands are now having dedicated strategy for the metaverse. They're creating their own metaverse. And eventually, there will be players in the metaverse as well to bring things together over there. A, a intersection between 2.0 and 3.0 will happen as well. Somebody has to build that. Nobody is done that yet a um, lot of opportunities i think what in spaces interest you and, and where you see opportunity i say there are more than 100 opportunities in the market right now it's you have to pick and choose it's not about uh, i would say the other way around right? it's not that the market doesn't have opportunities i say there's many many opportunities which we have to pick and choose and decide on what we have thank you for listening if you found this discussion valuable and don't want to miss any future episodes Go to Apple Podcasts and Spotify, search for the VP Map Podcast and subscribe.